So I, I, uh, I, I, it would surprise many people, I, I think, to learn that, um, that the Christians initiated the modern scientific era. <laughs> people like Sir Isaac Newton and Michael Faraday, among a host of others, believed that since God created the world, it would be rational and law-governed. And as such, the universe, in principle, could be comprehensible to some extent by human beings. And that three-word uh, phrase, to some extent, was a pretty important qualification attached to their reasoning. For they believed there would be a limit to our understanding because they believed that God and God alone was the only one who could truly, fully understand all of that which he has made. Uh, We are indeed made in his image and we can gain some real knowledge from our world, but we will never be God. The believers who pioneered science as we know it today, thought of themselves as thinking God's thoughts after him. And yet, as one commentator observed, culturally we have long ago abandoned the larger theological idea that our universe is rational and law-governed because it was created by God. And he goes on to say that in view of the modern era, we think of the universe as raw material to be shaped through technological control in the pursuit of our own goals. I want you to know I'm not complaining here. I'm only observing what others have uh, seen before me. Many good things have come into our world uh, introduced by scientists who know nothing of or care nothing for God. And we can't even begin to list of all, all of those things. There have also been, and we have to say it, uh, quite a share of evil things inflicted on our world in the name of science. And that list is every bit as long as the list of good things. That, that truth, that, that, that's two realities of modern science from our perspective of Christians, is to be expected, right? I mean, for all people, Christians and unbelievers alike are sinners, and our knowledge as human beings is less than perfect and far from complete. So it shouldn't quite catch us off guard when the things of nightmares are produced in the laboratory. And nor should it surprise us that scientists treating the universe as if it were rational and law-governed would still gain real knowledge of that universe, even when the scientist no longer acknowledges its creator, even when there is no concern about the moral implications of their work, even when they make knowledge a kind of God and they seek it at any cost. And I know that might seem to you and me a little perverse. We might wish that only good and moral people would have such knowledge or ability. Indeed, we might wish for a lot of things. But that's not, in fact, how the world is ordered. It does not bend to our wishes. The universe simply is. And the fact that both good and bad things come from science is an example of that. Reality, the way things really are, is exceedingly complex, and it's beyond us. And ultimately, it's beyond our control. 
One commentator observed, only fools believe that they know it all, but there are many, (laughs) fools that is, many people who think that they know it all, or at least that we could get to the place where we know it all. Well, our text today has something to say to us about that. We've been making our way through Ecclesiastes, a rather difficult writing in the Old Testament, and Solomon, the author, wrestles with the complexities of life, trying to understand why things are the way they are. And we could introduce our text today by saying that Solomon is inviting us, you and I, to understand that God is the most important factor in reality as he shares with us his attempt to comprehend life, especially as it uh, relates to human beings. So I want to invite you to join me or follow along on the screen in front of you. But we're going to be in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 once again. And we're going to be again looking at a portion of this writing found in verses uh, 13 through 29, which form a kind of a unit within this book. Now, we're not going to be able to look at all of that today. Uh, There's just too much going on here. So we're going to make a start today and go from there later. But what we'll see today is this that God created a universe, a real universe that we can't control, and yet the way we approach life can make a positive difference in our world. Can I repeat that? I think it's a helpful little summary. God created a real universe that we cannot control, and yet we can approach life in such a way that it makes a positive impact. So, so let's look more closely at the wisdom that is, uh, which Solomon has to offer us today. Uh, and that illustrates that first point, that God created a universe that we can't control. Now the invitation I mentioned is found at the beginning of verse 13, where Solomon invites us to think together with him. As he says, consider what God has done. Now, we could paraphrase that by saying, uh, let's think about this together. What can we learn from the world when we keep God in the picture? And through all that follows, Solomon wants us to use our minds. He wants us to think about the things that he puts in front of us. And they're not always easy. He, in a sense, he he kind of concentrates his thoughts, reducing them almost to kind of skeletal form. And the thoughts themselves, they don't so much invite us as they push us to a particular direction. But if we put in the effort, if if we think with him, we will, in our own person, to some extent, begin to experience or, or feel through his words, the complexity of our world. The three things that he says next may seem unrelated at first, but they come together to move us towards that idea that the world really is beyond our control as it works according to his design. So back to verse 13. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he made crooked? Yeah, that's a really simple illustration, don't you think? (laughs) Uh, I mean, even a piece of paper with a fold or a crease in it resists change. We had a Christmas tree right out there in the hallway. Um, I don't know if you happen to notice it when it was up, but it had a twist in the top. Right at the very top, it kind of leaned over. And I saw it after it was up and decorated. And 
And I mean, a couple of people went over and we tried to push it, bend it back to no success. I mean, the best we could do was turn it so that it wasn't quite as obvious. So if there's a bend in metal, you, like that trunk of that Christmas tree, maybe you could have heated it up right and hammered it and, and, and maybe you'd have gotten it straight again. But a tree that grows crooked in the forest, who can straighten that out? See, if God makes something crooked, who can straighten it out? That's what Solomon asked. And you know the answer to that, don't you? God can, right? But that's the point. The point is, is that there are some things, in fact, the vast majority of things in our world, in our universe, which are beyond our abilities that we just cannot control. Now, now, the modern scientists may not know that. Maybe they're even blinded by their own knowledge. I, I'm not trying to be hard on them. I, I'm just observing. We all have our issues, but it's true, isn't it? I, uh, that, that they know more and more about less and less. <laughs> more knowledge in an increasingly smaller field of study. They know so great deal about this one thing here, but virtually nothing about other things. So when they push a lever over here, they have no idea what it's really going to do over there. The universe is simply beyond our control. Now, most of us, I think, we've, we've learned that truth already, having a number of times hit our heads up against reality, and as hard as your head might be or my head might be, they aren't a match for that rock wall. The universe does not bend to our wishes. And Solomon goes on, he reinforces what he just said by giving us a kind of example in verse 14. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this, and, and here again is an invitation to think with him again. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Now, that first phrase, if you've been here with us through this study, uh, you'll know that that's consistent with the things that Solomon has been saying all along in this book. That is, that we ought to enjoy the good gifts that God gives us in this short life. Those good things are from God. They're gifts from him, and they're meant to be enjoyed. And, and we like it, don't we, when things are going well? Yeah, we, we do. But, but not all times are good. They would be if they were under our control, but they aren't. So there are bad times which come our way. And, and, and that second phrase reminds us of that. But it also reminds us that God is just as much in control when the times are bad as when the times are good. Nothing catches him by surprise. I mean, we don't enjoy those hard times. We didn't choose them. We don't even often understand why we're going through them. But what we can know, though, is that God himself is in control and that God is with us through those dark times. Now, that's the world we live in. It's real. It's, it's not of our making or our imagination, and it does not bend to our wishes. But it's that last statement, verse 14, is something that we need to be reminded of and something that may, many people trip over says this, therefore no one can discover anything about their future. And, and that's particularly disturbing for, uh, for some people, uh, especially those who, who are under the delusion that they are masters of their own destiny, who think that they can control things. 
And yet hasn't reality demonstrated to us over and over again that no matter how much wealth or fame or power a person has, nothing can be done to guarantee the future? I mean, people can, and they tr do try. They, they try to control life like uh, you might control a board in a monopoly game in order to get what they want. But it's no game, and the consequences are serious. They, they may even seem to succeed to some extent for a while. They may indeed bring about something that they wanted to happen or ward off some other thing they didn't want to happen, but it's always at a steep price. Steeper than they know because they don't have that kind of wisdom or insight. So as they try to order their life, they're always trading one thing for another. And they don't realize it. They're making such decisions. But they are. And, and almost always they make the wrong choice. Now I mentioned it um, before, but I, I recently watched... Uh, that movie, All the Money in the World, about John Paul Getty, who was the richest man in the world back in the 1970s. And in that movie, one of his uh, estranged sons reconnected with his father. And Getty said something uh, to the effect of this. I mean, it's not an exact quote. It wasn't worth watching the movie again to get the exact quote. But Getty said to his son, I hope you realize that I didn't have time for a family. It, it, it distracted me from my mission. And his mission was to make all of the money he could. And in trying to control those things, to order his own future, he traded away his family. You and I know that was a bad bargain, don't we? And all that vast wealth that he accumulated, well now it's in the hands of others. And he's not enjoying one iota of it. He traded away eternal things for things of the moment. Vaporous things in a vaporous life is what he chased and what he got. We can't control the universe and our attempts at doing so are often nothing short of disastrous. Now I have to tell you that in saying all of this, I'm not saying that we should be fatalists. <laughs> Uh, believing that we can do nothing at all or that we shouldn't plan for the future. Of course, we ought to work to bring about the good things in our life and to make preparations for, for life and the things that are to come. We just have to remember that we're not in control. Do you lose sight of that ever? Do you ever forget that you're not in control? And when things are tough, we have to resist the temptation to make bad bargains when things seem to be out of control. Our times, good or bad, are not out of control. God has them all in hand. And we can also say this. As a believer, you and I know what the future holds, ultimately. Not next week, not next month, not next year. And yet we do know that we will be with God when our life here on this earth ends. We don't know when that'll be. We don't know what will happen between now and then. But we know our eternal home is with our God if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. And so what we've seen here in Ecclesiastes is we ought to enjoy the good times when they come. They're God's gift to us. And we ought to remember that God is with us in the bad times. 
We need to recall that and we need to understand that he will never leave us or forsake us and he will bring us out to the other side. That the universe is beyond our control. He, our God, has it well in hand. But what Solomon says next about the real world in which we live is one of the hardest things for us to accept. Verse 15. In this meaningless life of mine, and I'm going to stop right here just for a moment and remind you that that word meaningless is better translated as vaporous or passing or short. And so we could paraphrase what he's saying this way. In in this exceedingly short life of mine, I have seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. We put it this way when we talk about this aspect of reality. We put it in the form of a question, two questions actually. Uh, We ask, why do bad things happen to nice people? And why do bad people seem to get away with it so often? I bet you've seen that, haven't you? I sure have. I've seen good people, kind people, nice people, staggering under heavy loads of financial woes or relational problems or or medical issues and other things, none of which are their own making. And I've seen the arrogant and the prideful and the wicked living a life of prosperity and ease. And if there is any point where the universe seems to be out of control, even under God's control, it's here. It's here that the believer's faith is tested. And it's here that the unbeliever levels his or her greatest accusation and say, if there is a God, he she will say this, if there is a God, then either he is not good or he is not powerful enough to help to keep those bad things from happening. And so they decide there's no God and there's not a God worth knowing. Interestingly, Solomon doesn't address that. He states it, but he doesn't address it. I mean, he could. The Bible talks about it in a multitude of places, but, but that's not his purpose here. I, I, I mean, he has a different agenda. He's simply using that, that, that thing that we wish were nothing more than an awful anomaly and yet happens all too even, often that, that good, bad things happen to good people and bad people get away from us uh, with things so much. He uses that to demonstrate the universe is real and beyond our control. But before we go on, we need to address that briefly, very briefly, because it's a subject of volumes. So let's begin by stating a simple fact. God could end all evil in this world in the next second if he chose to do it. But then he would have to end all human life in that process. That's not what God chose to do. He has chosen to do something much harder than merely ending evil. He has chosen to redeem people out of their evil. And to do that, he, has, he had to send his son to die on that cross to pay for our sins. And there was no other way than that. 
But that's not all there is to it. I mean, that's the most important part. That's the part we couldn't do, nor anyone else could do, or any system, or law, or any church, or organization, or act of penance on our part. Only Christ could pay for our sin, and he did. But the kind of relationship that God wants with us, I want you to hear me. I, I, some of you, I don't know. and I don't know where you are. But I want you to understand that God wants a relationship with you. And he wants a real relationship with you. And it can't be forced on you. He doesn't want puppets. He loves us and he wants us to love him back. And I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I want every child who comes through our church, but then I want every adult to know it too. I want you to know that God created you so he could love you. I want you to know that God created you so you could love God. And God created you with a purpose to do something that only you can do. Other people can do things like it, but only you can fill that one space in eternity which begins right now. To have that relationship, God has to take people who are lost in their sin and he draws them to himself. And for some of those people, that is a work of a lifetime. There are people who don't come to Christ until they're on their deathbed. Until they're in their 90s. It's rare, but God doesn't give up. If there's hope, he seeks them out. So God does all sorts of things to accomplish his purpose. He delays the day of judgment, and he, and he draws sinners along to himself with cords of love and kindness and patience. Some things, bad things, times, some bad things have to happen to someone to bring them to face-to-face with reality. Or one of us must follow in Jesus' footsteps. We, we go through the hard time to show them the way. Maybe there aren't even any other words to talk about it. Maybe only someone walking that way will do. Bad things happen to nice people. Bad people seem to get away scot-free. But behind it all is a God, a mighty God, who is redeeming men and women and children out of evil. Behind it all is God who does what we cannot do. He controls this universe to accomplish his purposes. And that brings us back to Ecclesiastes and the point that Solomon was making. God created a real universe that we can't control. That's reality. That's the world we live in. And, And yet, there's more to say. See, we're not mere cogs caught up in a piece of machinery, moved about without any choice of our own. No, we are also agents created by God to affect the world we live in. And so we make choices, and we act, and we live, and we do, by which you might say we kind of feed events into the mechanism of the world. And so by our actions, we can change the world we live in. We don't control it ever but we can alter it. And this is really, I, I mean, this is a really a simple illustration. It's, it's, it's so simple, it's, it's almost comical, but it's the truth. You know, the universe doesn't put food on your table every night, does it? It does not. <laughs> and you can't make it do it. So you have no choice but take the world like it is. So you grow your food, 
or you buy it, or you gather it off the tree or vine, or pluck the plants and the fruit, or dig it up out of the ground. You take the world as it is, and you do all you can to work within it to make the necessary things happen. And to make the best of this world as it is, you need wisdom. And that's what Solomon turns next. And if you remember... A few weeks ago, the last time we were in this book before the Christmas holidays, the theme of that previous section was that wisdom is better than gold. And he continues with that thought here by telling us that wisdom, as well as being valuable, gives you and I real power. So look at verse 19 with me where we read this. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers of a city. There is power and wisdom uh, now, this section of Ecclesiastes has a good deal more to say about wisdom, including some warnings and some hard things to understand. Uh, it, it's too much to try to get into today. We're going to come back and look at it another time. But, but wisdom, real wisdom, is a powerful thing. And I don't know if Solomon's illustration here works for you. Uh, I mean, or for any of the people in our culture today. Political power has become so tainted, I'm not sure we really think very clearly about it anymore. But in Solomon's day, for the most part, it tended to be a positive power. So I'm inclined to kind of use a different illustration, one that's less emotionally charged for us, and so here it is. (laughs) So if you needed to lift a big rock, uh, so big and heavy that you and nine of your strongest friends couldn't budge it, If you got a fulcrum and a long enough lever, you could lift that rock all by yourself. Wisdom is like that. It increases your little power more than tenfold over the things in your world. That's the point Solomon is making here. We can't control the universe. It's going to operate according to his design, but wisdom enables us to make the best of our time here. So maybe we should do something we should have done before. I'm not sure. Uh, Maybe we just need to ask the question, what is wisdom? We've been talking about it, right? I think most of us probably have some working definition in our mind. We know that it involves uh, knowledge. That's much as clear, and yet it's more than that. Wisdom is the ability to take the knowledge you have and apply it in the right way. For example, you might know certain facts about some situation, but wisdom is how you know whether you ought to speak up or keep quiet. So a relative of ours recently uh, lost her spouse, and she's a believer and so is he. And in talking with her, uh, a couple of times uh, I said something to her that I as a pastor often will say at times like that, But you know, Jesus said one time that a prophet has no honor in his own family, right? And if that's true of a prophet, it's also true of a pastor. And I realized pretty quickly that for her, I couldn't fill that role of a pastor. I have for other family members, but not for her. And so I let her pastor say the pastor things, and I just loved her. Wisdom is what gives you that kind of discernment. And you know, except for the very foolish, most people have a level of wisdom. Again, as a simple example, they're not always shooting off their mouth, and sometimes they speak up for the right kinds of things. But wisdom, real 
wisdom, the fullest expression of wisdom. Uh, the, the, what, what wisdom is, means in the Bible, it's based on our knowledge of God. Our passage today began with an invitation to think together about the things that God has done. But real wisdom is more than just knowledge about God. It's, it comes from knowing God himself, from having a relationship with him. That's where real wisdom resides. That kind of wisdom is not only valuable, but is powerful as well. That's what the text says. And that's the other thing I think maybe we need to understand. The power of godly wisdom is greater than any earthly kind of wisdom. But it works first in the eternal and spiritual realm. I, the, the wisdom of the world is a matter of a moment, but godly wisdom affects eternity, but it sends ripples into our world and our time. C.S. Lewis famously said, if you aim for this world, you'll miss it altogether, but if you aim for heaven, you'll get the world thrown in. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the good things that you need will be added to you in life. When you and I live for God, it makes a difference here and now. It makes a difference in our lives. It makes a difference in the lives of our brothers and sisters around us. And the light shines even in those who don't know God. Years ago, I, uh, I worked a part-time job at a bookstore. And there was a guy there who, uh, who worked there too. And, and um, well, let's just call him Fred because that was his name. <laughs> and uh, every time I'd see Fred, I'd say hello to him. And he would ignore me. Uh, he just promptly just ignore me, not even acknowledge that I was there. And one day when I was walking away, I, I decided uh, that I had enough. And I thought, okay, the next time he does that to me, I'm going to explain to him just how rude he was being, how inappropriate his actions were. Only in my mind, I wasn't doing it kindly. I, I wasn't doing it to educating him. I wasn't doing it for his good at all. I simply was going to let him have it. God said to me, I don't want you to do that. I want you to love him. Well, what could I do? I said, okay. So the next time I saw Fred, I reminded myself that I was supposed to love him. And I said hello to him again. And this time he stopped, he turned around, he stood there, and we had a long, interesting conversation, and we became friends. I have to tell you, I didn't do anything different. But I was different inside. That's a small illustration of the power of wisdom. It affects the eternal thing but it ripples back into our own world. Knowing God and knowing what to do because of it, acting in the spiritual realm matters here and now. So you can see how all this fits together, can't you? I mean, Solomon invites us to think together with him about the things that God has done. And we've seen that God made a universe that we live in. It's out of our control. Only he can control it. But he offers us wisdom that comes from knowing him, from having a relationship with him. Wisdom that is more powerful than any earthly wisdom because it affects eternity and ripples back into our own time. You are not a cog 
in a wheel in a mindless mechanism which came into being by chance. Nor will you pass out of this existence and into oblivion as though you had never existed. If you know Christ, you are a child of God. You are a child of the King. He made you so he could love you. He made you so you could love him. And he made you with a purpose. And he has placed you here on this earth to make a difference. The world is often a contrary place so far out of our control. And yet we know God has it well in hand. And he offers wisdom to us to make our way through it all, to have a positive impact for good both now and forever. God is in control. God is in control. But we're his agents. We are the salt and the light. And the world needs what you have. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I'm certain that um, every one of us in this room have come up against things in our life that have just been so hard and, and sometimes... Maybe most of the time we don't even understand why. And we've done everything that we know how to do. We've prayed and and we feel like uh, maybe you're not even hearing our prayers. Things don't seem to change. And yet, Lord, when we keep seeking you, we realize that you're there. Right beside us, through it all. And Lord, you speak to us through your word. And the way we live, the way we approach this life, the things that we do, it matters. It changes. changes us. changes others. Help us. Help us to walk with you every day. In Jesus' name.